Welcome to this exciting sermon from World Impact Community Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more sermons and resources, please do visit us at wscc.in. Praise God. A very good morning to all of you. And uh, what a joy just to be in the presence of God. Hallelujah. He's such a holy God. He's just high and exalted above everything else. There is nothing like him. No one like him. Um, this morning, I want to continue on what I've been taking or what we started looking at from last week. We started a series called uh, This Great Salvation or Our, Our Great Salvation. And we started looking at it from the book of Hebrews in chapter 2. And I want to start reading this, this morning from verse 1 to 4 again so that we can look at this great salvation. For this reason... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? For it was at first spoken through the Lord, and it was confirmed to us to those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Last week we looked at the message, our great salvation. What a joy it was. So many people got back saying, Pastor, uh, it was such a blessing listening to it. Some people that heard it in other places on, online, they, they, they go back saying, Pastor, we've never heard the gospel so loud and clear in its wholeness. Many times people preach part of the gospel. Jesus saves you, heals you, or blesses you, or you know, uh, you know, you know, does different things for you. But truly, what was this great salvation? We who were dead in our transgressions. The wrath of God was, was against us because of our sin. And how God Almighty, he just saved us from our sins. And it was so tremendous. So this day, I want us to look at chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2. And we are going to look at that verse uh, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Last week, we looked at such a great salvation. Today, I want to look at if we neglect. If we neglect. Neglect. The word neglect. To neglect something means you're not paying proper attention to something. Where you are not really paying proper attention to something that needs proper attention. So it is to give proper attention to something that is not given proper attention. So it comes from a verb. This verb means to fail to pay attention to. So what is the Bible saying? If we neglect our salvation, it is possible for us to having been saved, now not give proper attention to this great and awesome salvation that God has given us. How is it possible even for us that God would just, just would, would look at some of us and say, I know you started great, I know you're doing great, I know all of that, but how is it possible that, that you're not paying attention to this great salvation? So it is a peril of ignoring this great thing that God has done. God is saying, it is not a common thing, it is not an ordinary thing. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know it is a dangerous thing to neglect this great salvation. Why do people neglect this great salvation? People neglect it for various reasons, really. But before I get to that, there are three things. When the gospel message came to us, there were three things that we could do. Every one of us has had a fair chance to hear about Jesus. And when this gospel message came to us, all of us have done one of three things. Number one, we have either rejected the gospel. We said, no, I don't want this Jesus. I don't want to accept him. Some say, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to accept him as Lord. Because this gospel is not just the gospel of of forgiveness from sin. This gospel or the good news is the gospel of, you know, being forgiven and redeemed from the wrath of God and eternity away from the presence of God in hell. So this salvation is so great and so mighty. God is now saying, you know, people have different options. Option one is to reject this great salvation and say, I don't want this great salvation. I think I'm good enough. 
So people have all kinds of different doctrines and different things that are taught. In fact, so many of them are not scriptural. They're just doctrines of demons. You can choose to reject this gospel. Or some people choose to accept this gospel. That they're saying, no, this salvation, I am saved because of this gospel. I'm forgiven because of this gospel. I live because of this gospel. You can choose to accept this great gospel. That's why John's Gospel 316, it talks about, you know, this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever should believe on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This gospel is freely available. Thirdly, we can choose to not get saved or, and we could get, choose to get saved. But thirdly, we could choose to be saved and neglect what God has done for us. To have achieved something from God. To abide the humility of our heart and through repentance because of what Jesus did on the cross. And from then on, having said the sinner's prayer, from then on, Paul is, you know, or the writer of the Hebrews is warning. And he's saying, do you really want to neglect this gospel? Do you understand the seriousness of what it means to neglect the gospel? How easy it is for so many of us to just get absorbed in our everyday life. To get absorbed in our, in our daily thinking, the thing we are doing, things we are doing and what we are giving. We are busy or we get involved in pleasure, uh, you know, go, go on things of our lives or all of that. And yet completely ignore this salvation. Now many people, they think salvation is God forgiving their sin and taking them to heaven. No, that's not salvation. Salvation is a lot more than that. Because the mandate of the Great Commission is part of our salvation. That means for the moment I am saying I am saved by the forgiveness of Jesus, I'm also saying I'm called to be a voice of God in the land. You cannot say I am saved and not be a voice. You cannot say I'm saved, but I'm just ready for takeoff. I, I can't do anything else. The moment I'm saying I'm saved, I'm saying I have an inheritance. And the Bible says there is a reward for what we are going to do. But if there has to be a reward, there has to be a faithfulness to something. Because it is a, the reward on the day of judgment is not a gift. It is a reward to faithfulness. So the salvation came through our faith in him, but the salvation includes, the Bible says, now that you are saved, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, which means the day I'm born again, I've received Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, I'm saved. Something happened inside my heart. I am so excited about what Jesus did for me. Now Jesus is saying, now that you're born again, now that the Holy Ghost is inside you, from here onwards, you need to now work out. Because you're saved, you have to work out how you're going to walk with God every day. And that walking with God includes the call of God upon your life. It includes a holy life, living a life of righteousness because you love God. It includes a life of mission because of the call of God, the assignment, divine assignment, your shaped, your shaped assignment that God has made in your life. That is part of your salvation. Some people say, Pastor John, what are you preaching? What do you mean that's part of our salvation? Oh, haven't you read Ephesians chapter 2? For we are his workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which he prepared beforehand from the foundation of the earth. Which means we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which means we're created in Christ to serve him. That's part of our salvation. The salvation is not only what he does for us. Salvation, the whole package is not about going to heaven. Salvation is about being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's marvelous light. That is salvation. Salvation is not about going to a nicer place. Salvation is about changing the lordship of your life. That until now, the devil was the Lord. And now I proclaim and I say, Jesus Christ is Lord. This is why last week, when I talked about from the book of Acts, when Peter stood on that great day and preached to thousands of people on the day of Pentecost, he wasn't preaching, dear most excellent people, you know, I just want you to know Jesus loves you so much that he had some spare time and he had some power on his hand that he just decided to hang on a cross so that your sin could be taken so that it doesn't matter however you live, it's okay, you, you're assured good life here on earth and good life there in heaven. That wasn't the message. I wonder what Peter would sound like if he came today. You want to know what Peter would have sounded like if he came today? 
He would have sounded like Acts 2. What would he sound like in Acts 2? He looked at the thousands of people and he said, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him Lord and Christ. He pointed the fact that we crucified Jesus. It was I. It was you for our sin. This is what makes the salvation so great. Lordship. No salvation makes sense without Christ being Lord. And if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. There's a region of our life, it's a submission of our heart to God. Of course he loves us. Of course he cares for us. That is why he gave his life for us. You know, many people, they look at God as though their righteousness is greater than God. God loved us so much, but love stood in that place. Now God is saying, having done all this for you, why are you neglecting such a great salvation? Some people, they think it's, uh, you know, it's different from neglecting the body or neglecting the soul. They say, neglecting the spirit is okay. You know, if you had cancer, you wouldn't neglect your body. You would go to the best hospitals. You'd go looking, who are the best doctors in this field? If you had a, needed a spine surgery, you would say, who are the best orthopedic surgeons that are here? Who, who's really good at spine surgery? You would look for the best ones. Why? Because you feel your body deserves the best. You don't want to go to somebody who will be negligent with his practice, would you? If you wanted with something to do with your job, you'd get up and you would give your best to your job. You wouldn't be negligent at your job. You would work hard. You'd want your appraisals to be really good. You'd want your boss to say, well done. You are one of my best staff. But somehow when it comes to the things of the spirit, we are, the Bible says, we tend to be thinking, it's okay if we're negligent. It's okay if I, it's okay if I, if I didn't walk with God. I know God's been telling me that, you know, some people say, you know, God's been telling me that for the last six months again and again and again, you know, and I'm still praying about it. What? You're praying about what God's been telling you for six months? To whom are you praying? Because God's been telling you. So to whom are you praying? See, this great salvation, we think it's okay to be negligent about our walk with God. It's okay if we don't pray as a family. It's okay if we don't gather for worship. It's okay if we don't spend time with the word of God. It's okay if we don't know the word of God. A lot of people say, somewhere in the Bible, you know, something like that is said somewhere, no? We're negligent because the Bible, the word of God has not become our foundation. Now look what happened. We think it's okay for us to be negligent with the word of God. The neglect of some of these things bring temporal consequences. If you neglect a, a, a broken bone, it, it may have temporal consequences. But the neglect of the things of the spirit have an eternal cost. The neglect of the things of the spirit are going to cost your generations. The neglect of the things of the Holy Spirit, the neglect of walking with God is going to cost your destiny. Because when a moment comes where you have to make a decision and you have to choose between right and wrong because you have not built your salvation, built your faith up, you don't know what decision to take. At that time, you're looking for what is written in the word of God. You may be looking for a, a, you know, a prophet. I find a lot of people... Just yesterday, we were talking with some men of God about this. With a lot of people, when it comes to marriage, the many believers go looking for a prophet. And especially parents, they want to hear from the prophet if this is the will of God. If this is the will of God. But I hardly ever hear parents ask, have we raised this boy well? You know, when marriages break down, they immediately say, because it wasn't the will of God. I remember, you know, the, the way you, you, you and I sometimes raise our kids is not the will of God. Someone said the other day, we Indian parents hate our sons. We love our daughters and hate our sons. You might wonder why. They say, we make the daughters work at home and the sons watch television. Many times we say, you're the daughter, you must get in the kitchen and work. Who said? Who said so? So as a result, the sons don't spread their bed. 
The sons don't, are not asked to work in the house. The sons are not asked to, you know, help with anything. It's the daughter. It's the daughter's job. Who said so? Hebrews chapter 15 verse 17. As a result, because we don't train them, as a result, the product we have made is baby, one, one, one mother babied son. And then you look for, you're looking for another mother for him. When that girl is looking for another father <laughs> in the boy who will pay all her bills, will rescue her. Papa, top of my phone. Thanks. I'll be late. See you later. And you're wondering, it was in the will of God. That's why we're having problems. No, no, you're not, you're not having problems because of that. You're having problems because you ain't, you ain't prepared. We're neglecting something. We're neglecting the raising of something. So because we think that it's okay to neglect the spiritual, therefore we set it aside. So what does it mean to neglect our soul? Are you and I really neglecting this great salvation? What does it mean to neglect our soul? The first thing that we see, the word of God says, that we neglect in our salvation is that we neglect the weightier things of the law of God. We seem to be very high on the smaller things. And we neglect the important things. We, we seem to be high on, on small. For example, you might be high on, you know, you know uh, you, you'll say that um, a woman must cover her head in the presence of God. But you neglect a woman must, the covering of the head means submission to husband. Right? So we neglect the submission to the husband and focus on the Doctrine of covering the head. Because the weightier thing is the heart, not the cover. Now you might say, oh, that was for the sisters. For the brothers, what else? We neglect, the Bible says, it says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. Yeah, you know the scripture? The rest is without quarreling or strife or any of that. Which means, when you gather together in family prayer, husbands, you're supposed to raise up holy hands in worship, and if there's a problem at home that's not sorted out, sort it out. But we will look at the lift up holy hands in prayer and ignore the without the quarreling and the strife. The weightier things of the law. Why do we, the, why do we ignore the weightier things of the law? When you neglect this kind of weightier things of the law, the Bible says in Matthew's Gospel 23 and verse 23, the Bible says you tithe a tithe of your mint and your cumin and all these different things, but you ignore the weightier things of mercy, of justice and faithfulness. People find it okay, I'm giving my tithes. They say, I'm coming to church regularly on Sunday. You know, God must be happy with me that I'm, you know, God's not happy with attendance. God's happy with heart. Amen. There are heart. Imagine your children came every day to sit at the table to eat with you. And around the table looked at you and said, present, sir. And then rest of the time, take the phone and... You know, that would bother you. Why? Because what you're looking for is heart, is relationship. And God is saying, how is it that we can ignore the weightier things? What are the weightier things? The weightier things of the gospel, that we live a life of obedience and faithfulness. That we are faithful to the call of God. We are faithful to the word of God. We are faithful to intimacy with God. We are faithful with honoring his word. That we wouldn't like that servant, the, the, the younger son who said, I will go but did not go. The older one who said, I will not go. You know, whichever, you know, we, that we would be honorable to his word. Many people are neglecting the weightier matters of the law. A second thing that we neglect is that many people neglect the pursuit of truth through the teaching of the right doctrine in their life. Neglecting the pursuit of truth. First Timothy chapter 4. I want you to look at verse 1. Throw that scripture up for me, please. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Now listen to me very, very carefully. The Bible is saying that the Holy Spirit is prophesying about the church. And he's saying, I prophesy that in the last days, many are going to be abandoning their faith. What is abandoning their faith? That's apostasy. Giving up the faith. 
departing from the faith. Some people say, no, if you're really born again, you will not depart from the faith. No, the Bible says that the Spirit of God is saying that people will abandon their faith. How can they abandon their faith if they never had the faith? Which means they are born again. They have given their life to Jesus. My version says they depart from the faith. Then it says abandon their faith. So the Holy Spirit is prophesying and saying there are going to be people that in the latter times, some will abandon their faith and listen to this, and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. He's saying this is going to happen in the body of Christ. That some will abandon their faith. And that's talking about pastors also. That pastors and leaders, many of them, will abandon their faith. That if you're not careful, the Bible is saying, when you're not careful, the Bible says, you will drift away. I'm going to leave that for another week, drift away. Because I got some serious things to talk about drifting away. Because many of our lives, abandoning the faith may not happen in a day. It will happen with little by little, day by day, a small giving up here, a little complaining there, a little lack of exercising your faith there, a little stopping in your prayer life there, a little not reading your word there, and it comes to a place where you come, where you don't have the truth of God in your heart and you abandon. Oh, pastor, I've been so busy. Oh, really? If you've been so busy, you had a heart attack, would you continue with your busyness? Now, if we had a heart attack, we would rush to the hospital because everything else can wait. Why? Because we believe that our health is of utmost importance. If you had a car accident and you had broken bones, you'd be taken to hospital. Why? Because you believe your physical health is of utmost importance. But many are shipwrecking their faith. Paul says there are people who are shipwrecking their faith. And it does not happen in a day. What does it mean? Neglecting the pursuit of truth. This is what Paul was writing. He says, now the Spirit says, some will depart from the faith. Listen to this. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Which means at one time they were devoted to the Christian faith. Please give me the verse again. They were devoted to the Christian faith. But now they have changed their devotion. And they have now devoted themselves to spirit, to deceiving spirits. Can you imagine people that had one time walked with God, loved God, little by little, they're listening to familiar spirits. They're listening to lying spirits. What are they listening to? Now, you might say they're listening to lying spirits that are telling them Satan is Lord. No, that's not what they're listening to. It says in verse 2, it says, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, what does that mean? It means there are preachers, insincere pastors, leaders, preachers who are preaching messages that people want to hear because they will give you chocolate. Son, you like chocolate? Here's chocolate. Next week also chocolate. Week after that chocolate and they make you a chocolate baby, something that leaves you unhealthy and something that leaves you sick if you eat it all the time. But they're feeding you that and, then, and they're looking at, oh, how many people are happy with my message. If you are truly a parent in the faith, you would tell those children, you've got to eat healthy. You cannot just eat chocolate. You need your veggies, your greens, and, and you need some balanced food upon your life. That is why the Bible says people, hypocritical liars whose conscience are seared with hot iron. You know what that means? The preachers have preached one message again and again and again and again so much, now their conscience can't understand when they read some portions of scripture, they just ignore it because that doesn't fit into their doctrine. They teach lies after some time and the Bible prophesied about them. Their conscience are seared with hot irons. So what is this teaching that Paul is warning Timothy about? Look at verse 3. In verse 3 it says like this, These preachers who are deceiving the people because of their seared conscience and training the people to start listening to lying doctrines of seductive and deceiving spirits. What are they teaching? This is the example. You know, you should be shocked by listening to this. Why? Because this does not look overtly dangerous. What are they teaching? They forbid people from marrying. They say, see, if you don't want to get married, don't get married. No, please, you should not get married. According to our church, this one, you shouldn't get married, they may teach. 
They say they forbid people from marrying and order them to abstain from certain foods, which means that, you know, that kind of food, oh, no, you shouldn't eat that. You, you shouldn't eat that because the Bible says in the Old Testament, don't touch that food. And what about that, uh, you know, that kind of, this one, no, no, don't eat that. So they're saying abstain from certain foods. Now, this is the New Testament. And he's saying these people are now teaching them all kinds of things. We have all kinds of teachings coming today. Everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. And verse 5, go ahead. Because it is consecrated by the word of God and by prayer. And look at verse 6 now. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, Paul was saying. Brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. In Paul, in, in my version, Paul calls it the good doctrine you are holding on to. What is it Paul warning us as a church? He's saying there are people, especially today in the internet world, all kinds of messages are available out there. And if you are not a good student of God's word, if you neglect the reading of your Bible, you will believe every wind of doctrine that comes your way. You will end up believing the small things that are said this way or that way. And God is saying, I don't want you to be devoting yourself to demonic spirits, to deceiving spirits, teaching wrong things. And don't you know, dedicate yourself to this kind of neglect. So the first neglect the Bible talks about is neglecting the weightier things of the law. The second neglect the Bible talks about is neglecting sound teaching and wanting to listen to what you like to listen. First Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says, Second Timothy 3, the Bible says like this, and in the last days, people will come, there'll be lovers of money, lovers of self, lovers of all of this, and their ears will be itching to hear what they want to hear. So there's a group of people whose ears want to hear what they want to hear. And First Timothy 4.1 says, there are a group of preachers who are preaching doctrines of demons, but now they preach this so much their conscience is seared. They don't know the difference. They're wondering, what is the problem? What's wrong with what I'm teaching? So you've got people who like to hear and the preachers who like to listen. And Paul is telling in the midst of that, Timothy, preach sound doctrine. Teach the people the truth of God's word. Teach the people the truth of God's word. The third neglect the Bible talks about is that many times people are neglecting the gift of God that God has put inside of you. God has put a gift inside every one of you and me. Bible says in the book of Romans, it says, the calling and the gifts of God are irrevocable. God's not going to take that gift back. But God is saying, there are many people now that are ignoring or neglecting using the gift God has given you. Everybody say with me, I have a gift from God. Every one of you have a gift from God. Now, look what the Bible says here. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, we were looking at 4 so far till verse 6. Now, look at verse 14. It says, do not ignore the gift that was imparted to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Which means there are gifts that are imparted onto your life. When the leaders or the pastors prayed over you, or the apostles pray over you, there's a stirring of the gifts inside your life. It may be gifts of being a deacon, it may be or serving in the ministry, it may be gifts of pastoral ministry, or many times we ignore the gifts inside our life because we're not happy about that gift. That gift disturbs us. I shared a story about my pastor when I was in college in med school. I had a pastor whom I loved very dearly. He was a very dear man of God to me, and he loved us. And and you know, one day I walked up to him and I would tell him, Pastor, I feel very sorry for you. So he says, why? Why do you feel sorry for me? I said, I feel so sorry because you're a pastor. It's a hard job being a pastor. Same faces, week after week. And you have to come up with one new message for the same face. It can be the same message, just package it differently. And usually people don't know the difference. Just put some new title, new pictures, toss it around a bit, turn it around, little soya sauce, a little... You know, and people don't know the difference. So I said, Pastor, I feel really sorry for you. I said, I thank God I'm not a pastor. Hallelujah. I was so excited. I was so excited. I said, Pastor, I am traveling and I'm moving in a prophetic ministry and encouraging the churches and challenging them. I said, I thank God I don't have to be a pastor. He tapped me on my shoulder. He said, thank God you're not a pastor. <laughs> 
He said, he laughed and he said, you don't have what it takes to be a pastor. Because he knew what he was talking about. He said, where you are in life, you ain't prepared for this. You ain't ready for this. If you be a pastor, either the people are going to die or you're going to die. Somebody is going to die. But then God had left that gift inside of me. And at some point on the journey, I had to face that gift. I had to face that call of God in my life. God said, I, I want you to go and plant the church. I said, no, Lord, don't ask me to do that. Oh, Lord, don't do that to me. Lord, I love, you know, just doing what I'm doing. And God said, I want you to go and I want you to plant a church. Lord, please. And the Lord, you know, when God calls you for something, he gives you grace for it. He gives you grace for it. He calls you to be a husband, gives you grace for it. He calls you to be a mother or a father, gives you grace for it. You may not be ready at that time, but on the journey, you will learn how to, how to grow into that. Hallelujah. But how will you learn to grow into that unless you take that first step? Peter was the only one who said, Master, if it's you, bid me to come. Call me to get into the water. Peter, because he took the first step, all the other wise guys were sitting in the boat and said, we never drowned. You never walked either. Just what if you had a grace to walk and you neglected your grace? And if you neglected your grace, one day you're going to stand before the king and God's going to give account. He's saying, bring your account. What was the grace? Everybody say after me, I have a gift. Say, I have a gift. Every one of us has a gift. You know, when Apostle Paul or Peter was writing, uh, you, know, uh, you know, in the book of Acts, when he was writing about them in the church, when the apostles gathered, there was a time where some of the women, Hellenistic women, Greek women, were not getting equal share of food as the Jewish women are getting. So there seems to be a racial tension. Food was preferentially given to the Jewish women rather than being given to the Greek women. So the disciples got together and Peter says, it is not good for us. It is not good for us to spend our time overseeing the work of a deacon. It is not good for us to check the distribution of the food because we have to dedicate ourselves to preaching and prayer and all of that. And so pick for us seven men full of the Holy Ghost to distribute food. What? You want men full of the Holy Ghost to distribute food? Yeah, because that is what the Holy Ghost was anointing them for. Amen. That they have a special grace to do what God is calling them to do. And when you don't employ your gift where God wants you to employ it, somebody else is carrying that burden. Someone else is, is carrying that burden. You know, as a family, a husband and a wife, as they grow older, they love the, the teamwork, the tandem, the work in tandem. It's beautiful. But when one of them falls sick, the other has to carry that burden. You know what it feels like? I'm sure you want, you'll understand what it feels like if you're a married person. Because until the, or the one spouse travels out of town. <laughs> one town, one, so, someone said like this, you know, men are usually single taskers. You don't ask them to do more than one thing at a time. So sometimes when wife wants to go out with her friends on a you know, break or something like that, said, darling, can you take care of the kids for me? Oh, sure, not a problem, yeah. And she goes out. And he comes back and looks at the husband and he's got this baby with the you know, milk bottle in the mouth. and Oh, darling, so sweet. Oh, you took care of Johnny. And, uh, and she looks at you and says, where's Jonathan? And you go, we had another one. <laughs> you know, when, when did that happen? You know, so they say guys can't, guys are single taskers. They usually can't think of more than one thing at the same time. You know, it's different. Some, some guys are multitaskers. But, but, but what happens is you suddenly see the power of the, of the partnership of the gift. And, and some of the, the, the people that are very good at the home front... Maybe your spouse is taking care of stuff outside and when they're not there and you've got to do it and you just don't know how this works. Or a gadget, you look at it and you don't know where to press. Woo. Your father, you're growing older and then your boy comes along, picks it up. There you go. He just employed his gift. And that's how it is in the house of God. And God is saying, don't neglect your gift, which God's given you. Because when your gift is not employed in the house, Someone else is carrying your load. I shudder to think all the time. I constantly ask, Lord, who's carrying my load that I'm supposed to carry for somebody? 
And there are others who are supposed to carry our load in the house of God. And there are others who are supposed to carry their load. Because that's how God has planned the family. But yet there are people that are neglecting. This is why Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to look at verse 22 onwards. Hebrews 10, throw that scripture for me. Hebrews 10, 22 onwards about, about neglecting the gift. Now, point number four, we're going to look at point four. It's neglecting the gathering together as a church. Neglecting the gathering together as a church. All right? All right. <laughs> okay, point four, neglecting the gathering together as a church. Now, if you look at verse 22 onwards, verse 22 goes like this. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of the faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Which means Paul is writing to the Corinthians, the writer of the Hebrews, is writing in Hebrews 10 in verse 22. Let us draw with a, near with a true heart in full assurance of the faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed water. He's saying you have been washed in water through water baptism. You obeyed the Lord. You received Jesus Christ and all of that. Then it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He's saying, I want you to know, I want you to not neglect the gathering together, but before the gathering together, I'm going to touch on something here. That you don't waver in your faith. So many people, when some difficult storm hits their life, they begin to waver in their faith. I just heard the other day that one man of God is a very popular Christian artist whose son had just done a concert a week before that. They found the son dead in a few days. And he's a very popular Christian artist and a lot of Christians around the world know him. He's a friend to some of my friends. And when... When they heard this, you know, so many around the world were shocked because that boy had just begun the ministry and he had just come into all of that. And people are wondering, what will this Christian artist say now? You know, the Christian artist and his wife, he came out with a, with a social media post and said like this, I want you to know that the passing of, a, of my son has broken our heart. I want you to know that nothing can replace the loss of our child. But he says, but I want you to know my wife and I, our faith in Jesus Christ has nothing to do with our losing our child or not. Our faith in Jesus Christ is bedrock solid because it doesn't matter. And he goes on to say, what, what can separate us from the love of God? For I'm convinced that neither life nor death, nor principality, nor power, nor things present, things to come, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. What was he saying? That he says, when, when, when life tosses something at you, that you don't begin to waver. So many people, when, it, when life is good, they're very happy. But when life is difficult, oh, they begin to become very sad. In good times and in bad times. But so many people, when a bad time hits their life, it's a curveball. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to go through the season. They don't know what to expect. Because they believe if they come to Jesus, only good times will be there. And Jesus never promised that. He said, in this life, you will have trouble. Don't neglect in the times when you begin to waver, you, will, you should be ready for those seasons by not neglecting your time of good with God at other times. And he says, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, look at verse 24, 10 verse, uh, Hebrews 10 and verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Which means every time you see a brother, and this is not the pastor's job. Paul is writing to Timothy. And he's telling him, he's equipping. Timothy is a pastoral letter. Hebrews, he's writing to the Hebrew people. In different churches, epistles when he wrote, he's writing to them, this is what you must tell the church. This is what you must tell the believers. What? He's telling, tell the believers, every time the believers meet each other, that you must remind each other to work for God. Whoa. I thought that was the pastor's job. Hallelujah, verse 24 says. <laughs> and let us consider how we may, 24 please, how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Which means spur one another to walk in love and do the works of God. Encourage one another. 
every time, church, if we are a family, God is saying, when we meet each other, we got to encourage each other to find out whether we are a family. Good times and bad times. I was at one time going through a very difficult time in my life. I was, somebody had let us down so badly, had broken our faith and let us down. I was so heartbroken because of the disobedience of that person. And soon after, I was flying to another place uh, to preach in another meeting somewhere. But I was so heartbroken that I was crying. I was literally crying. Tears running down my face. My shirt is getting wet. Uh, it was a three and a half, four hour journey. And I'm crying, reading the Bible. And I'm singing, what a friend we have in Jesus. Because I was so heartbroken. I, this was a comfort to me. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to the Lord in prayer. You know, in that difficult moment, when, when answers don't make sense to us. At that moment, while I'm crying, there was a group of air hostesses who were not on duty. They were being transferred between locations. A group of air hostesses were sitting on the same row where I was sitting. And one air hostess who looked like the senior of them, one of the key air hostess among them or their leader, she was doing something on paper and filling up documents and all of that. And she suddenly turns to me, my side, and she saw I was crying. When she saw I was crying, she turned to me and she looks at me and she says, uh, are you crying? Are you praying? Are you reading? Because she saw I was reading the Bible, I was praying, I was singing. Is everything okay? And I knew that was my moment. In the midst of my sorrow, the Bible says, be ready in season and out of season. Be ready at all times. Encourage one another. We are here for, for the rest of our life. We can serve this king. I suddenly turned to her. She said, are, are you, is everything okay? Are you praying? Are you reading the Bible? I looked to her and I said, Yes, I am. And I looked at her and said, have you heard about my Jesus? And I used that opportunity. I started prophesying over her. The Holy Spirit began to tell me some things about her. I started prophesying over her. Oh, she was taken aback because she didn't see that coming. And there I shared the good news with her of Jesus Christ and asked her, would you like to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior? Right over there, 35,000 feet in the air, she prayed the sinner's prayer, asked Jesus to come into her life, and she got born again. Right in the midst of my deepest pain was God's opportunity, spur one another to do the works of God. Don't pull back. Don't hold back because you're going through a difficult time. Why? Because if you are unprepared, you will be shaken. Everything will be shaken in your life and my life. And then she jumps up from there. She goes away from there. About 10 minutes later, she comes back and she says, if you don't mind, some of the air hostesses in the back would like to know what God has to say for them. That whether you have a prophecy for them. You see, they were, how, how God opened the door for, for you know, to, to, to be ready with this gospel in our heart at all times. And then the Bible says in verse 25, it says, not neglecting the gathering together. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying there are many people who are in the habit of not gathering together as church. They say at any given Sunday, 30% of churches, these, our kind of churches, born again, spiritual churches, 30% of the people don't come to church on any given Sunday. And that's a statistics they have found around the world. Around the world, it's, it's like that. But 30% of people just don't come to church. Why? Uh, some don't come because they're sick. Some don't come because they're out of town. Some don't come because, you know, all of that. But some don't come because it's raining. Uh, why didn't you come to church? Oh, it was raining. I, I got out and I thought the car will get wet. But on Monday morning when you got to go to work, and, and how about the car getting wet on Monday morning when you go to work? How about the car getting wet when, when, when somebody is ill and you got to rush them to the hospital? You know what's the difference between rushing somebody to the hospital and coming to worship service? It is the value you have put on that. When somebody is sick and you got to rush to the hospital, there's tremendous value you're putting on that life. You're rushing there. But when we don't go for the worshiping God together as a family, God cared so much about it. He's saying, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Some are saying, oh, I don't want to go today to church. I don't feel like. Maybe next week I'll think about it. Some, it's too far. You know, someone, a friend of mine from, from Sudan said like this, John, you know, there are times we long to worship God, but the, the churches are so far away and so few in between that we have to travel miles and miles and miles and miles to meet with a few believers under a roof. And the, so often you believers don't know the value 
of what it means to have a gathering of people that worship him together or sing together or say, lift up the name of Jesus. We don't know the value of what it means unless we don't have it anymore. God is saying, don't be in the habit of missing your gathering. Why? He says, but let us encourage one another. You know what that means? One another. This is one of those one another scriptures in the Bible. Let us love one another. Let us pray for one another. Let us encourage one another. What's the context of this? It is if you are not coming regularly to worship God, others in the church family must encourage you to come. Oh, pastor, but I thought that's your job. Now my job is to teach you. This scripture says it is our job as a family to look out for one another. It's our job as a family to encourage one another. That is why we tell people, be part of a care cell. Be part of a castle where you can grow or you can, you know, people, smaller groups of people gathering as a church where you can be in the Lord together, grow together, know the Lord together. Don't be the habit of missing out of those gatherings. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's exams or no exams. We tell our children, you got an exam coming, you just Sunday, worshiping God is worshiping God. You just come. Why do we, why do we, we say, no, the, the kids got exam. They, they shouldn't come to church today. You sit at home and study morning. What are you doing? You're just equipping them to neglect their salvation. You just told them that physics or chemistry is more important than worshiping God. You just told them that their marks are going to determine their future. You know what you were supposed to tell them? Son, study and finish on time so that we can give our best to God. That's what you were supposed to tell them. But we train them to neglect our salvation. Why? Because, you know, when you neglect your salvation and you ignore what you're supposed to do, you're passing it on to another generation. Generation after generation, generation after generation, you're passing it on. The salvation was so important. That moment with God was so important. And many of us are missing those moments with God. We're missing the gathering together. We're missing the teaching of God's word. Many people, even though you're neglecting, the gathering together of the family. You're upset when the family is not there for you. Somehow the expectations are high. Number five, we neglect to take care of others. The Bible says use your gift to take care of others. Hebrews 13.2 says, do not neglect showing hospitality to strangers by which some of you have entertained angels. I've had encounters with angels. I don't want to talk about that now, but I want to tell you one thing. The Bible says, every time you go to serve God or serve people, take care of people, hospitality, it is a commandment from God. And many of us are not willing to take care of others. We're not willing to be inconvenienced. God is saying, don't neglect that. This is part of your salvation, that your life will become a blessing to somebody's life. Your life will transform somebody's life. Do not neglect that. Don't neglect what God has put upon your life. And don't neglect, Hebrews 13, 16 says, and do not neglect doing good and sharing for such sacrifices God is pleased. God is pleased with us sacrificing, sharing our life, serving somebody, using our gift to minister to somebody. And God's saying, don't neglect that. That's part of your salvation, that you're created to take care of your other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Finally, God says, many people are neglecting the fear of the Lord. People are neglecting the fear of the Lord. Hebrews 10, verse 26 to 31, the Bible says, it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That they say it's okay, it doesn't matter how you live, no problem. And there are so many people coming forward and walking away from the faith. And they're saying, they, the Bible says, they insult the spirit of grace. And they trample under the foot the blood of Jesus. And, you know, insult the covenant by which he was sanctified. And God says, the Lord will judge, not the unbelievers. God will judge his people. Many people are neglecting the fear of the Lord. Neglecting the... The fear of the Lord. We say, it's okay. It's okay to gossip a bit. Or, it's okay to, I know I'm a believer, but you got to be practical. You got to be practical. You got to, you know, Christian life is different. Real life is different. No, no, no. That, the, there's no difference. You're either Christian or you're real. In the sense of what you call real. Because God says your Christian life has got to be the real life. 
And many people are neglecting the fear of the Lord. Where we gossip and lie and we, we talk about others. And we have unforgiveness in our heart. And we are angry with people. And we are not willing to be kind. and We are not willing because so many of us neglect. Neglecting our salvation is despising the work of God itself. What God has done for us. And God is calling us to this place and he's saying, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Your salvation is eternal. It's more important than your health. Your salvation is more important than your wealth. Your salvation is more important than, than your job. And God said, don't neglect it. Take care of it. Walk with God. Spend time, read the word of God. Talk to Jesus, worship him. Don't be in the habit of not coming for worship gatherings as some are in the habit of doing. That's there in the word of God. And that was written for you and me. And some of us are neglecting the truth of God's word. We like to hear what we like to hear, preferential. I like to hear that, I like to hear this. I want to hear only what I want to hear. God's saying, don't, don't neglect. Don't neglect, don't reject this gospel. Because God's given us life and life is soon going to be passed. Time's going to go and it's going, we're going to run out of time. You know, many of us are living on the last hour or maybe the last seconds of what the Bible calls the last hour. And we're all going to pass away and we're all going to be with, meet the Lord and God's going to call you and me to give an account for our life. Every eye closed in the presence of God. This morning, the Lord is knocking on your door. And he's saying, I don't want you to neglect this great salvation. The salvation for which you are bought with a price. You are redeemed from the kingdom of darkness into God's marvelous light. The salvation that, that is worth every moment of your life. The salvation that is worth your relationship with God that you spend time to hear and worship and live for Him and honor Him and serve Him. The salvation that you take pains to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The salvation that can change your life forever. The salvation that can bless your generations. The salvation that can heal your, you know, your circumstances. Your salvation that more than anything that God can use you, your gifts and of being part of the house of God to transform other lives. That when he calls you home, you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come into your rest. And if you know that you have been neglecting your salvation, this is a moment for you to repent right now and say, Father, I want you to forgive me, Lord. Lord, I've been taking my salvation lightly. I've been trying to course through life and maybe just attend a Sunday here or, or maybe do something here or just believe that I just love you without really committing my life to you as my Lord. And today I want to submit my life as Lord. I want to say, Jesus, be magnified, be glorified. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons, please do visit us at wicc.in.